Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is editor Chris Clow to talk about how reverse mortgage companies are doing in this environment and the particular risks they face from a government shutdown. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back, Sarah. I appreciate it. It's great to have you back. And today we're going to talk about reverse, right? Which is fun. Um, You, of course, are the editor of Reverse Mortgage Daily, and you do all of our reverse coverage as well as doing a lot of the federal beat um, uh, for foreign mortgages. But there's been a lot going on. So I'd love to kind of dive in. And, And what I wanted to start with was the fact that, you know, we had most of the leading reverse mortgage lenders had a profit in Q2. I don't think you and I have talked about that, even though that's been a a week or so. Yeah. So probably the top line lender that that posted a profit that quarter was Longbridge, uh, a division, of course, of Ellington Financial. But it was quite a bit lower than the recorded profit they had in Q1. Um, Longbridge net income attributable to common stockholders was $2.9 million. And this is uh, on the basis of Ellington. Uh, but that's compared with 38.9 million in Q1. So I think if anything, that's just indicative of the fact that this is a challenging operating environment. Like it doesn't matter how you cut it. The fact that they posted uh, a profit at all, I think is pretty encouraging. And uh, and it says a lot about the uh, the discipline that they have maintained through all of this. Uh, and Ellington is very bullish. They continue to be very bullish on Longbridge's prospects, particularly when it comes to the uh, the diversity that keeping reverse mortgages uh, has on their portfolio. So Ellington seems very, very bullish on what the prospects are for Longbridge and if they continue to have positive results, even if they're diminished, the fact that they're positive at all in this environment is, I think, pretty telling. Um, and then at Aquin, which is Aquin Financial Services, the parent company of PHH, which itself is uh, the the parent company, or I guess the the owner of Liberty Reverse Mortgage. Uh, they posted a profit in Q2, and they recovered from a loss that was in Q1. And a big driver of that improvement was in its reverse mortgage servicing business. They acquired a, a reverse servicer called Reverse Mortgage Solutions back in 2021. And servicing has been a, a pretty big component of the profitability that Liberty has enjoyed, and by extension, Aquin has enjoyed in the in the reverse space. Uh, Guild Mortgage, you know, we we uh, posted about their uh, their results in Q two, both on Housing Wire and on Reverse Mortgage Daily. The reason that we're including Guild at all in the conversation uh, on RMD is because they acquired Cherry Creek Mortgage. They closed on that acquisition in March, and Cherry Creek is a big reverse player, so. There hasn't been a lot of time really for Cherry Creek's reverse activities to influence Guild's earnings, at least on a broad basis. But one of the things that uh, Guild's president and COO, David Nalen, said in uh, in the Q2 earnings call was that the reverse mortgage division, as led by Cherry Creek, is now fully operational. So we'll be really interested to see how things go when it comes to uh, Guild's n- renewed push in the reverse space. They had reverse capability before, but with the acquisition of Cherry Creek, like that shoots them probably into top 10 territory. 
So they almost overnight became a pretty big player in the reverse space just because of that acquisition. Less lucky, however, uh, was Finance of America. So, of course, at the end of last year, you know, there was a lot of tumult in the reverse business because reverse mortgage funding filed for bankruptcy. Uh, and then we've had these consolidations. And the biggest of those consolidations is probably that Finance of America was acquiring American Advisors Group, AAG, the biggest reverse lender in the space. So Finance of America, again, almost overnight, became the biggest player in the reverse space. But they recorded a uh, $221 million loss in Q2. But its leaders largely attributed that to the negative impact of mortgage rates and spreads. Um, and FOA still has a lot of work ahead to consolidate AAG into its existing corporate infrastructure and those associated costs kind of drag down their earnings for the quarter. But they seem optimistic about cleaning things up by the time uh, we get to the end of the year. So it'll be really interesting to see how uh, how they stick the landing. Yeah, I wanted to ask you. So, you know, we know on the, on the forward side, it's been just brutal, although there are people who are um, you know, making margins and, and doing okay. On the reverse side, what are some of the things, you know, as you look at the fact that um, home prices are still high, but also the kind of, you know, um, mortgages that they take out as far as the the interest rate, how do you think the rest of the year is going to go? Uh, so I've talked to a couple of analysts about this and the emerging consensus seems to be that the floor of volume may not have been reached yet. We still might see some volume drops uh, by by the end of the year. But all things considered, they're probably not going to be as bad as they could have been because home price appreciation continues to be pretty elevated. Uh, we just saw that, um, and I actually have a, a story to write about this, but senior held home equity ticked up in, in the most recent quarter. Uh, so it is now, I think, closer to $13 trillion total from a, from a slight dip in uh, I think it was Q1 of 2023. So the senior held home equity levels remain very high. And I mean, they just exploded over the last couple of years. So that's got probably going to do, uh, it, it's going to do some of the work in keeping the reverse mortgage business on track, but a lot of the challenges still remain. You know, there is still a, a very difficult liquidity challenge that is challenging the entire industry. Uh, most especially just a handful of uh, of home equity conversion mortgage-backed securities issuers for Ginny May. And um, one of the things that I found pretty interesting is that there's a, a, a national reverse mortgage conference that's uh, gearing up to take place in about a month in Nashville, and RMD will be there, I will be there. Uh, but Elena McCargo, the president of Ginny May, has just been announced as a speaker and I know that people across the industry are going to be very, very interested in what she has to say in terms of her commitment and, and Ginny May's wider commitment to the HMBS program, but also, uh, you know, what kinds of policies might Ginny May be able to introduce in concert with FHA and HUD to potentially create more liquidity in the reverse space. When RMF went out of business, uh, their entire portfolio was seized by Ginny May, like just about a month after RMF uh, filed for bankruptcy. And that the size of that portfolio has been a serious challenge for the company. Uh, and it has necessitated additional operational staff and it's uh, it, it's it's they, they've asked for for additional appropriations from Congress. And 
uh, not to get too far ahead of things, but things aren't looking good on the on on the uh, compromise of financial disbursements from the federal government. If conversations in Congress right now are any indication, so I know that the industry is going to be really, really interested to hear what Elena McCargo has to say. And also speaking at that event is going to be Julia Gordon, the FHA commissioner, who spoke at last year's event. But she is always going to be a major point. The FHA commissioner generally is always going to be a major point of contact that the reverse mortgage industry has with uh, the overseers of the HECM program at HUD and FHA. No, thanks for keeping us updated on that. And yes, you and I will talk a, a little bit about the uh, possibility of a shutdown um, in just a minute. I, I did want to say in the story where you're talking about, you know, looking ahead and okay, this is what this is uh, what those companies did in, in Q2. One of the opportunities that was um, identified by Longbridge was distressed opportunities in reverse mortgage space. So tell me a little bit about that. So Longbridge has been pretty active in acquiring portfolios from these companies that have been distressed, most especially reverse mortgage funding. Uh, It has provided an opportunity uh, to potentially expand its presence when it comes to holding those loans and potentially, you know, maybe repackaging them. I'm not exactly sure. They're, They're not talking a lot about what their strategy will be when it comes to the acquisition of those distressed assets. But the fact that uh, that you have Ellington in particular looking to to pick those up at a discount, I think, says a lot about uh, the general attitude that the company overall has about uh, the strength of the reverse space going forward. Ellington and its CEO, Lawrence Penn, have talked a lot pre-acquisition of Longbridge and in the in the year since the acquisition that uh look demographics are on it's it's a common refrain that we we go to right is that demographics are on the side of this industry and uh considering the height that home equity levels have reached for seniors over the past couple of years that is a a distinct opportunity for uh the expansion of a presence in a space that is designed to serve a population that the 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 wider United States is just going to become uh, more in line with as time goes on. So I'm not sure exactly what other distressed assets they may be looking at. I'm not sure if RMF's uh, full portfolio has been exhausted in the wake of its bankruptcy. They might still be looking at at picking some stuff up from RMF. I'm hearing rumblings, nothing confirmed, but that there might be. Uh, another company that might have to look to selling parts of its portfolio, and it's something that I'm uh, I'm diving into. But overall, right now, it, it's just the demographic game and and how these companies are going to be able to serve senior populations going forward. So great segue into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, which was a report that you wrote wrote up, and it was a survey that found that almost a quarter of um, seniors are planning on their their full retirement is social security which this is exactly why um we're so bullish on 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 the reverse space the demographics uh combined with the fact that many people um do not have the retirement savings that, that are going to carry them through and and we see that the solution to that in many ways uh could be right uh depending on how you how how it goes out for people is the reverse mortgage so tell us a little bit about that report which by the way is kind of terrifying uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you. Um, so it's actually wider than just seniors. This was a survey of a thousand adults, 
uh, generally speaking. And yeah, nearly a quarter of them are only looking at social security as, as, a, as a path to provide some semblance of money coming in after they retire. And the thing that is so concerning about that is that for years, the social security trust fund has kind of been on the ropes and there has not been an abundance of political will to try and shore it up. You know, there have been discussions, I think, over the past few years about creating some kind of a plan to to shore up the solvency of the Social Security Trust Fund. But entitlement programs are such a lightning rod, relatively speaking, on Capitol Hill that there are flagrant disagreements, mostly between the two major political parties, about how exactly to accomplish that. So it, it really does crystallize some of the most concerning components of, of this survey. 23% of respondents plan to rely exclusively on their Social Security benefit payments, while 28% expect those ba- benefits to cover more than half of their spending in later life. And, and I mean, I think most Social Security beneficiaries now, even those that might have bolstered the amount they can take home by prolonging and waiting until age 70 before they begin tapping, uh, it's not really how it works. And the condition of Social Security is not getting better. If anything, it's getting worse and more precarious. And an absence of political will to do anything about it doesn't really improve the situation all that much at all. In fact, it makes it worse. So it is absolutely concerning. And I think it does help uh, reverse mortgage professionals to have another component of the conversation with their prospective clients about, well, what is your plan? Uh, Does your plan just include Social Security or do you have other assets that you're going to be able to call upon? Do you have substantial savings or do you need to look into tapping your home equity to uh, to bolster your cash flow in retirement? So it is uh, a bit of a wake up call for anybody that uh, that looks uh, to the future and what their financial situation can be. And granted, you know, maybe there are some people who plan on working literally for the rest of their lives. But, uh, you know, the, the best laid plans of, of mice and men, right? There, there might be something that comes along that prevents you from being able to work when you're in your mid-70s. So it's good to have some kind of a, a backup plan should things go awry. It's interesting. So if, if the survey is of all adults and you think, okay, well, if you're in your twenties, you might not have any idea what you're doing, you know, with retirement savings, um, you, I would think you'd have some understanding that like social security should not be your main <laughs> safety net. Um, but I, I do think it was interesting because we know that, you know, as you said, demographics. So I think, is it 2030 when all of the baby boomers will have, have reached 65 by that age? Is that the magic number that we're, we're looking for? Yeah, I believe it. And then 2024 is actually supposed to be the beginning of peak 65 where, uh, a certain threshold of of members of that generation will have hit that age, and it's just going to continue accelerating until uh, until the the end of that generation. So, yeah, there there are certainly some issues that need to be addressed when it comes to shoring up the the finances of later life. And you know, I understand on on some level, it's not a comfortable conversation to have, especially if you are a younger person. You know, it's not really something that you want to think about. But that doesn't diminish that it is prudent to think about such things. Uh, and, you know, the reverse mortgage industry has long made a case of, uh, of, of you know, 
potentially using that product in some form or fashion in concert with social security. Some people have uh, gone the route of saying, take a reverse mortgage out. It will allow you to prolong taking your social security benefits until age 70 or on the, you know, maybe the more needs based spectrum, then this is something that can bolster your social security payments. As long as you can meet the other loan obligations, like keeping your house in order, maintaining your, your homeowner's insurance and, and continuing to pay your property taxes. So it just, it interacts with so many different components of, of this discussion and having it sooner rather than later. Yeah. It's not going to be the most comfortable topic to, to think about or discuss, but it might be a, a, a beneficial thing in the long run. Well, and I, I think we would just raise our hands here and say, we do not expect some silver tsunami to come. So uh, because where are people going to go um, if they're, if they're currently living in their house and they don't have a ton of savings, I'm not sure that, you know, they could sell their house, but then that's a, that's something that's going to could potentially run out. So what we see is that people are looking to reverse mortgages. They are, um, giving, you know, handing down their homes to other people. That's sort of the, the whole meme right now, right? Is like a boomer's like, Oh, I'm, you know, I, I have everything. I paid off my house. It's whatever. And I'm never going to leave it. So, um, just wanted to kind of note that as well is that we don't think like, oh, 2024, 2030 is some magic year when we're going to see a ton of inventory come on the market. We might see more reverse mortgages, though. Maybe. I mean, it's certainly something that the industry is hoping for. And I think a lot of the companies are positioning themselves to serve as something of an answer to those emerging problems. But And that's going to be one of the things I'll be really interested to see when I'm on site in Nashville, among so many other reverse mortgage professionals, is how much more potent, if more potent, these conversations have become with prospective clients uh, on the originator side, as well as just you know the the business strategy at the executive level. You know what kinds of uh, discussions are they having when it comes to fully digesting a lot of these evolving realities? That's definitely going to be something I'm going to be paying very close attention to. And that is, uh, that is a great place to find out is at the trade association uh, meetings every year. Um, so in, in the last few minutes we have, Chris, I would love for you to give us an overview. You have done some reporting on what a government shutdown would mean specifically for the reverse space, which I thought was really interesting because it's not something I had thought about before. Of course, we really hope that we do not have a government shutdown, but we know that these things um, can happen. And so maybe give us a, a few pointers there about what would happen. Sure. So uh, I, I would be very surprised if this is something that is talked about abundantly on the forward side, just because the, the forward mortgage side, of course, is much more insulated from the government, not completely by necessity, but it is much more insulated than the reverse side is because the reverse mortgage business is very much like a public-private partnership. The vast majority of reverse mortgage products uh, that are uh, originated are home equity conversion mortgages, and that is a program under the purview of the Federal Housing Administration, uh, which itself is under the Department of Housing and Urban Development. So naturally, if there is a lapse in appropriations that comes from a government shutdown, it has a pretty big impact on reverse mortgage business. And and probably the most potent impact is that you can't endorse HECMs for FHA insurance. And if you can't endorse HECMs for FHA insurance, then you can't take the loan uh, further. That is by far the biggest impact. 
that is that, that a government shutdown would have on the reverse mortgage business. This is actually something that the business most recently had to deal with uh, between the end, it was December 22nd of 2018 through January 25th of 2019. Uh, Congress was at an impasse related to funding over border security, and uh, it led to the longest partial federal government shutdown in U.S. history that was not resolved until the end of January. Uh, so heck of endorsements during that entire time couldn't take place. The longer term impact was that the performance metrics for the reverse mortgage business were just totally obfuscated for months afterwards. It was very difficult to tell where the industry stood because there was so much noise that was created from from the shutdown. So as soon as the shutdown ended, there was all of a sudden a big log of of Heckams that needed endorsement and it just it was very difficult to tell what the health of the industry was up through I think the middle of of 2019 and that's more of a headache than anything else but uh, having that m- metric information not available, uh, it, it's it's a concerning component for people who work in the reverse mortgage business and want to have some idea of where things will go. Heckam endorsements were immediately halted when the government shut down because there was a lapse in appropriations for FHA. But uh, there is a contingency plan in place. In fact, I looked up uh, the most recent contingency plan that HUD has put together if a lapse in appropriations takes place for a shutdown. One of the nice things that should be at least uh, a little reassuring to people in the business who are most sensitive to the uh, to their borrowers and their borrowers' financial condition is that HECM payments do continue. So the disbursements that go to borrowers will continue because uh, HECM payments fall under the standard of the minimum operations necessary to support FHA's existing portfolio. So at least on that front, borrowers who are already in their reverse mortgages are fine. But it does create a problem if uh, a needs-based borrower might come to an originator during a government shutdown. Uh, They're going to be kind of out of luck until uh, people in Congress get their act together and and, uh, and sign a spending plan into law that then goes to the president's desk. And uh, it it seems like I, I wrote that story. It was on the 14th, so about five days ago from the time we're recording this. And talk of a government shutdown has only amplified uh, in terms of the end of this month. So there's apparently Congress is deliberating a potential continuing resolution that would kind of kick the can down the road for 30 days. But there's so much rancor, particularly in the House and the Republican conference in the House, that that is even seeming like a far-fetched possibility at this point. So it would probably be a, a good idea for reverse mortgage professionals to potentially prepare for a government shutdown unless, but you know, that could change. There could be a, a miracle development and either a CR is signed or, you know, been a big miracle, like an actual budget is signed that takes us into next year. But we'll see what happens. I, it's, it's hard for me to believe in miracles when it comes to political rancor these days. <laughs> Me too, Chris. I love your optimism on that. Let's let's uh, let's hope for that. Fingers crossed. It is interesting that it won't necessarily affect the borrowers, but it definitely affects the industry professionals who are you know are shut out, um, can't can't get updates. Um, 
much more on the reverse space than in the forward space. So thanks for walking us through that. And um, just thanks for being on as always. Of course. No, thank you very much for having me, Sarah. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.